Amibero actually stands for, it's a mashup of two Latin words, ami meaning friendly and vero meaning true and real. And that really speaks to my personality. And that's the vibe that I want to give and that I want to have as the company grows. It's the kind of company I want my son to work for one day. We do everything in a very agile, flexible way whether that's like flexible holidays or we even are encouraging charitable work where folks can earn more paid time off for doing charity work or community service work. I really do hope that Amivero can be an example for other companies on how you can succeed and still really give back. That's the voice of Olivia Trivisani Bowker founder and CEO of Amivero. She spent five years with Vector Cutco, then had a variety of other experiences before deciding to start her own company, providing IT services to the Department of Homeland Security. Olivia's leadership style is one of empowerment, and she brings strong female traits to her role as a CEO. Hers is a fascinating story of living on five different continents as a child of State Department parents, then building a successful career with and after Vector. I know you'll enjoy getting to know this leader who combines strength with empowerment. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. My guest today is Olivia Trivisani Bowker. And she was involved in Cutco and Vector for about five years back in the late 90s, early 2000s, while in college and after college. She went to George Mason University and Emerson College. And Olivia advanced as far as the district manager position with Cutco and Vector, left the company in 2003 to pursue a career which has involved government contracting. And in 2018, Olivia started her own company. It's called Amivero. Olivia is the CEO of the company, and Amivero is now a multi-million dollar company supporting the Department of Homeland Security around IT services. And so she has a lot of interesting stories to tell from her life and her career. Olivia Trivisani Bowker, very glad to have you on the podcast. Thanks for making time. Thank you. I'm so excited. Yeah, this is going to be fun. 
So you have a really fascinating personal background, Olivia, uh, having lived in many, many countries all over the world. And I would love for you to help our audience get to know you a little bit better by telling us a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah, it's it was interesting. And growing up overseas as State Department, my parents were both in the State Department, but they specialized in hardship posts. So it's not what one would typically stereotype when they think of State Department brats or being spoiled. No, I was in the middle of Haitian embargoes and apartheid and malaria and hepatitis and all kinds <laughs> of stuff. So yeah, it was it was pretty exciting. You can imagine when I got my security clearance for my current job and I had to write down all these places I had been and what I was doing there and how do I know all these foreign individuals. But yeah, so pretty much every two years, Turkey, Thailand, Trinidad, Guinea, South Africa, Haiti, Croatia, Italy, think that was most of them. What a list. Different curriculums. Yeah, definitely different kinds of experiences, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That uh, sounds very interesting. So you were all over the world, pretty much uh, most of the continents you rattled off right there. Australia and Antarctica are my only two. I'm going to have to make it to both at some point. Yeah, that's right. Trinidad counts as South America, I guess, or you could count it as South America down there. Yeah. 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 Wow. And then I I was actually in Brazil for some time when just a few months, but. Okay. Well, that's true. What happens in Brazil stays in Brazil. (laughs) Vegas. I was in Rio. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Did did you have a favorite spot among those places that you really enjoyed Uh, being in? Trinidad was beautiful. I actually had the most fun in South Africa but it was probably one of the hardest for my parents. So I feel a little bit bad saying that. It was right when Mandela had been released. So we were dealing with quite a bit as an American embassy, as Americans in the country, and then just racism as a whole. So, Wow. Amazing. Well, so how did you end up working in Vector, Olivia? So I went to Emerson College. That was my first time really coming back to the States. That's up in Boston. And I was dealing with what the Foreign Service calls culture shock. And so it was sort of reverse culture shock in that I am American. But here it was really my first time being in this American environment and trying to fit in. It was a hard time. I had a hard time. My parents said, all right, come on down. You're, you're coming to the DC area where they were at the time. They had just recently retired. And so I started to go to George Mason University, which is a local university here in Fairfax, Virginia, and saw an ad for Vector Cutco, you know, per appointment. And I went, boom, like my mind was blown from these knives. I thought I'm Italian. <laughs> I've been cooking and I have to tell everybody I know about these. This is so cool. And then it's just, you know. That's awesome. And and yeah. were you in Rich Plaskin's office when you started? I was. I was. I am so forever grateful to him. Actually, I've learned so much. Other than my parents, he's the next person in my life that I've learned the most from, for sure. Yeah, he's a great yeah. guy. Definitely a company legend. Yes. And having grown up out of the area, were there challenges with like getting started, who you would show to? You know, that's a good question. I hadn't really 
thought of that. I think my personality is, so my dad's that way too, very personable, kind of gets along with everybody. So I was living with my parents at the time who lived in a development. And I guess two of my aunts were here as well. So once I just did family, I think it it just went from there. And then I just followed the program, which kept saying like three M's and I was making sure when I got referrals, I was qualifying them. And I just was wanting to be as strategic about every move as I could. And thankfully, I had a really fast start, which was that's the best way to go when you've got, when you just commit yourself and follow the program at the beginning, especially have a fast start. At that point, you know, your commission percentage is higher already. So even if you were to reduce your number of demos, odds were you were still making good money. But I'm definitely a competitive person. I played softball and basketball. So the whole idea of like beating somebody else or other people's records and wanting to kind of break those was a a good motivator for me. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, tell us a little bit about your path in the company. I know you advanced up into assistant manager and ultimately ran your own office as a DM. Tell us a little bit about that. So after the fast start and after, I guess it was going into the fall. So it was the beginning of the fall timeframe. And I had been asked to be an assistant manager of sorts. It was the pilot office, division office, Fairfax. So that winter break was my first winter break being in management. And then I stayed as the sales manager for Rich through that summer, which was very exciting like super exciting, right? Because having started in the fall and then, you know, winter break and summer break, it was very different. I mean, the buzz was just so addicting. Then I went in to be a district manager the following summer. So first summer sales manager, and then the following summer district manager. And luckily what was available is uh, the Prince William Fauquier County, which is where my parents lived at the time and where I was living with them at the time still. And I had a district office for about three years and had so much fun. My two assistant managers that I had with me the longest time, Matt Awad and Austin Hooper, are today both like two of my best friends. Matt went on to run a district office in Virginia as well. And it's just, yeah, friendships that have been the longest I've had in my life, to be honest, right? Having grown up overseas, moving around, I didn't really maintain those friendships. And so Vector was my first real friends. And I remember my parents saying that they never knew I had the work ethic that I actually did because with Vector Cutco, I was constantly working, but it didn't feel like work to me because I was having so much fun and just felt like what I was doing was really meaningful. And and that drove me, you know? Yeah, that's great to hear. Is there a key lesson or two that you feel stand out most that uh, you continue to use throughout your career? I find myself repeating words of wisdom from Rich and others around the Virginia division. One in particular was always around, it was always around the psychology of people. Rich used to use this phrase, I didn't beat my husband. And he would say it in 10 different ways and it would mean 10 different things. I didn't beat my husband implied you didn't. 
I didn't beat my husband implied you didn't beat him. You may have done something else, right? I didn't beat my husband. That's implying somebody else's. And so it was such importance on how you communicate, how you present yourself, whether that's verbally, the inflections that you're using, or even simply listening. So I remember one of the biggest misconceptions that reps would have around objections was the difference between you can't afford something and that cutco is too expensive, right? It's like so many times an individual would say something, but around that as their objection, but to handle those, it's two different things. One's payment plans. The other is well, let me explain to you planned obsolescence and why over long period, right? But unless you clarify with your customer what it is that they're really meaning and what they're saying is their reason for not being able to go ahead, then you can't handle that objection and ultimately give them like the best knives in the world. So I used to take those communication skills and apply it to everything, to my friendships, to my family, to my, you know, those that I were, was dating, always trying to make sure that I really understood what it was that they were communicating and also making sure that we took the time to, to listen, had the conversation and, Sometimes even I would always handle objections before they came up too. It's like if my husband now is his back hurts. Well, I could say, I know your back hurts, but could you help me with the dishes, please? It's like, you can't say that, that your back hurts. I already gave, I already <laughs> So anyway, those are like little sales tactics, I guess, or whatever. But all in all, I mean, the biggest thing really was just people. And and I remember having reps that were all motivated by different things. Some it was money. Others, it was just meeting people. Others, it was they wanted a job where they could make friends for that summer and have fun. Others, it was their confidence and eye contact. And that really triggered for me too, because it was a confirmation that not everybody is like me. And so as a manager, I can't use what motivates me and project that on others. So you're actually taking the time now to get to know these individuals and see what they're looking to get out of their experience or their employment. And sometimes it's not even, they're going to get so much more because they don't know enough about it yet. And that was fun too, right? They come in wanting X, Y, and Z, and they leave just gaining so much more. Yeah. Awesome. I like what you said about the communication skills that one gains during their time working at Cutco and Vector and simple things like the voice inflection mm-hmm. lesson that you shared. And I know that that original lesson is sort of came out of Zig Ziglar and stuff that he taught. That's where Rich, I'm sure, got that. And then the idea of clarifying objections, right? Whenever we're influencing people, right? Whatever is in their mind that could keep them from agreeing with whatever it is we're trying to have happen, whether it be helping somebody to set a goal or trying to get someone to do something that we need or trying to make a sale, you know, we're influencing people every day and being able to understand what's in their mind, right? Listening, clarifying objections, those kind of things that you described, those are all really important keys to success in in any walk of life for sure. And it's really easy to do that when you're passionate about 
what you're doing or what you're representing. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, I think that was, and, and as we talk about where I am today, that's probably the lesson that's carried me through the most. For me, when I got into government contracting, I knew because of 9-11 and because my parents and their experience overseas with the State Department, that if I was going to support any agency, it was going to be Homeland Security. That was my number one preference and choice and the types of positions that I targeted. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. Well, tell us about your path after Cutco and how it has led you to uh, being the CEO of your company now. When... I left. I didn't know what I wanted to do next. And full disclosure, I had some challenges with positions because my earnings were so high. How was I making these multiple six-figure you know, income? And yet I'm trying to get into a, a new field and they could only offer me like a tenth of what I was earning. <laughs> and I had to explain to them that that wasn't a base salary. I earned every penny of it myself. And so just take that drive and that ambition to earn that and apply it to whatever I'm asking to do in, in this job. And so I got an inside sales position that was in IT and federal government contracting, which I knew nothing about, but I was going to work hard and research and do all the things that Vector teaches you to do when you start new. And I learned all about government spending and how the government works, and then high-level different IT services, inside sales, then outside sales, then account management. So that was three years. Then I wanted to sell direct to the federal government. There's a company called CSC that's now been acquired. And so it has a different name, but you know, multi-billion dollar worldwide company that was looking for a sales rep for Department of Homeland Security because DHS had just been stood up after Mm 9-11. And I liked the mission very much of DHS, which is Department of Homeland Security. And so I got the job at CSE. And again, I was there for about nine years, but I started out as a task order sales manager, which is smaller dollar amounts, smaller account. And then I moved up to have about half of DHS. So my account was called Border and Immigration. So that was mostly agencies like Customs and Border Protection, Coast Guard, Secret Service, TSA, and so also Citizenship and Immigration Services, which is one of the more you know positive components, kind of giving benefits and stuff to folks wanting to become U.S. citizens. And then because I had sold so much, so many services, so many contracts, I was very passionate and very close with my customers, similar to what I had taken right from Vector Cutco days, just building that rapport with these customers that I was then promoted into a executive position where I had responsibility for both sales and delivery. So now I had profit and loss responsibility, hiring and actually delivering these multi-million dollar contracts. So now Mm. I had hundreds of people working for me within those accounts and I was executing on the work that I had sold the customer on purchasing from us as a company. And so one of our protégés 
because the government has a lot of mentor protege type relationships. One of our proteges, a smaller company had asked me to come help them grow. And so I joined them, Nightpoint Systems, stayed with them for a few years and helped them grow. They've now been sold to a bigger company. They got acquired, which is what their goal was. And I helped them double their revenue in a three-year period. And then having taken both those experiences, I said, you know, delivery, finance, now sort of having the experience in all these different departments of a company, large and small, I would get frustrated when I didn't have as much say in all those aspects and realized that I needed to go back to my roots that I had learned from Cutco, which is to have my own business. And as a district manager, building a culture that I felt most comfortable in and that I could help the greatest amount of people. And so I started Amivero in October of 2018. And Amivero actually stands for sort of, it's a mashup of two Latin words, Ami meaning friendly and Vero meaning true and real. And that really speaks to my personality which is just more sort of real down to earth and more friendly. A lot of people have told me in my career that not that I'm not professional, but that I'm just more welcoming. And that's the vibe that I want to give and that I want to have as the company grows. Awesome. Awesome. Well, tell us more about what your company is about. So we, as I said, IT professional services, or as you mentioned, so what that means is everything from building applications like software development or maintaining them, hosting them in a cloud environment or on-prem data center type environments to applying cybersecurity to that whole process, which is obviously very critical. And then a layer on top of all of that, which is data analytics. And that's sort of our biggest growth and focus is making more data-driven decisions based on a human-centered focus. We work on applications today that are being hit millions of times a day, applications that Anytime somebody's trying to come into the United States through rail or airplane or walking, that system that checks that person, we work on that system. And if you can imagine how many people are trying to travel coming into the United States at any given point, combined with everything else that's happening, it's a lot of work to maintain. Fortunately, through my job, I've been able to visit two or three dozen different ports of entry. So Blaine in Washington State or San Cedro or even plenty of places in Texas and Arizona, Southern California. And to see what those Border Patrol officers are going through, that the speed of these lines of cars for folks trying to come into the the United States, and they have seconds to determine whether this individual is good or bad or has something in their car or not. I was, and I want to say if it's lucky enough, it was exciting for me. I was up in Blaine and they decided to pull somebody over into what's called secondary inspection because they seemed like something was fishy. 
and literally it was fishy and that they were scuba divers, but they were housing drugs in their scuba gear. So in their Mm. scuba tanks, it was filled with drugs and that's how they were coming over. I think we would be just living somewhat in fear if we really knew all that happens. The amount of human trafficking that occurs... And so it's just too bad that we can't share as many positive stories as we want to. And because it's maybe just giving away too much. And so that's the conflict, right? I'll give you another example. I interview folks all the time. And my director of workforce development, she too interviews folks. And then we get this sort of weird feeling from an individual. They admit that they can't get a security clearance. They maybe even say that they're not a U.S. citizen, but it's okay. They don't want to be billable on a contract. They just want to be a part of the company. And then you start to realize that they just want to learn about what we do and gain some kind of insight so that for their own personal or their country of origins benefit and we just we have to be careful because it's it's amazing how that information can be used against us. Wow, that seems like a really difficult challenge to navigate that uh, you know on the one hand you're trying to provide the best tools possible for people that work in uh, DHS to be able to do their jobs and you know protect our nation and keep us safe from various threats. And uh, on the other hand, you've got people that are trying to infiltrate your own company to figure out what you're doing, to figure out how they can use that to manipulate uh, the situation. So, And at uh, the same time, a huge part of our country's revenue comes from trade and travel, right? So it takes a lot to balance that wanting people to come for tourism and all of that and to do travel for tourism and and cargo and such for trade. Those are huge revenue generators for the United States. Also, lots of benefits to us. We get items manufactured from all over the place. But it's like protecting the country while facilitating trade and travel. So Mm -hmm. it's, again, always that balance. It's like you hear all these complaints about TSA and, you know, what people have to go through at the airport. And it's, it's always this fine line. And everybody has an opinion about what's too much security versus too much, you know, not enough safety. And it's tough, but very rewarding. I'm not on the front lines, but I'm, I get to be close enough that it's what gets me up in the morning and through the weekends. Yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. What are other challenges that you face as a CEO running your own company? I think so as a as a woman CEO with a son, I have not been very happy with most companies like maternity leave and paternity leave if it even exists. So, you know, benefits, equal pay. So, I think one of the other challenges that I'm pretty proud that we're doing well with so far at Amibero, and it's it's going to get even better, is really trying to build an environment where in a world where there really isn't such a thing as work-life balance, sometimes work takes a little bit more, sometimes life takes a little bit more. Well, let's be okay with that. And let's mm-hmm. all be okay with that. So if life needs to take the front seat instead of work, like again, let's be okay with that and let's be prepared to handle that as a company. And so we do everything in a very agile, flexible way. 
whether that's like flexible holidays or we even are encouraging charitable work where folks can earn more paid time off for doing charity work or community service work. We're working towards the kind of benefits where people don't want to just work for us because of the customer that they get to support. They also want to stay with the company. If somebody is doing a job or can do a job that should be paying them more, then they should be getting paid more. I, I hate when someone applies and especially, you know, if it's a female, let's say, and they say, well, I'm making this now. So I'd appreciate a little bit more than that. Well, you know what? That's actually really low for what a software developer should be making. And so I'm not going to pay you based on a benchmark that somebody else gave you. Mm -hmm. I'm going to pay you based on the job that you're doing and how you qualify for that job. And hmm. so just it's sometimes maybe not the best business decision, but I, I believe long term, it's the right decision. And it's what helps me sleep at night. And it's the kind of company I want my son to work for one day and my friends and neighbors and just want to be proud. Yeah. Awesome. You know, we had Jim Stitt on the podcast and he said, uh, we don't make business decisions that affect our people. We make people decisions that affect our business. And it seems like you've adopted that same philosophy in your own company. And that's cool to hear. And as you said, it's not an easy philosophy to enact on a day-to-day -day basis. There's times where it might be a little bit painful to actually you know, follow that philosophy in the short term. But when you do it, right, almost always in the long term, it works out a whole lot better for you, for the people that you're making decisions you know, for in, in, within the organization yeah. and for the organization as a whole. So pretty cool to hear. You've described to me that you have a passion for women empowerment, and I'd love to hear more about that and you know how you want to continue to make a difference. I know you've shared a little bit about that just now, but can you expound a little more? Yeah, it's interesting. My mind has really evolved a lot. When I was at CSC as a younger professional, female professional in the industry, I was reading lots of books. I remember one in particular was Good Girls Don't Get the Corner Office. And it was encouraging me not to offer my seat if there was more people than there were chairs and not to bring in baked goods for everybody. All of the stereotypical female things that would just encourage others to then see me as a female. And with that, negative connotations, you know, come. And I didn't like that because I felt like it was asking me or encouraging me to be something that I'm not. Mm -hmm. And it's taken some time, but really, if I were to stereotype women, we have strengths, our own strengths that we just need to learn how to use in whatever our position is to advance and be successful and be great at, at what we do. And so, yeah, it's, it's maybe the way that we were raised a little bit to be accommodating or hospitable. And again, same thing, Italian, female pride in making other people comfortable and welcoming. And, and that's actually okay. It doesn't mean that I'm sacrificing a chair for myself. So instead of giving into the stereotypes. I think it's just confidence and focusing on your unique abilities and your strengths to be able to 
succeed and being that kind of a female in itself is going to change people's mentality. I really love what you shared right there, Olivia, that, you know, in this day and age, I think there can certainly be some people who take a little bit too far to an extreme how men and women should be the same at everything. I don't think that that's really true. Like there are inherent differences between men and women. I can see that right away having a six-year-old girl and a three-year-old boy that there are inherent differences like in just their personalities and not things that we've socialized into them, but that are a part of who they are. And I want my daughter to be who she is as she grows up. I want her to be able to be authentic. I want her to be able to be her real self. And I want to appreciate her for who she is. And I want others to appreciate her for who she is and her not to feel like she has to try to be a man or has to feel like she has to try to be, you know, something different than who she really is. And I just appreciate hearing that come from a powerful woman leader like yourself. I I think that that's a great take on how all of us that are working with women in our organizations can view and develop the women that are in our organizations is not to expect them to be the same kind of person or same kind of leader as one of our male leaders, but to to use their own unique strengths and their their own greatness that they bring to the table and really be able to help them bring that out further and maximize that. And that's what I think creates a great diverse organization of, of leaders and influencers throughout a company or throughout a community. Yeah. I have a director that, that works for me and he is always wanting to crowdsource everything, every decision that we make. And even though in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, that's going to take longer or, oh, you know, maybe my initial hesitation is to just try to be more, let's keep moving forward and making decisions. I've loved the fact that he forces me to crowdsource because the feedback that we get from our employees is really what should be driving our decisions. And so again, that goes back to the whole like data-driven, you know, decision-making stuff, but it's been so remarkable because I may think something, but then when we actually reach out to the folks that matter or the ones being affected by these decisions, they may say something else. And so it's really about, we all bring a different perspective and yes, we're all educated or knowledgeable at different levels, but it's okay because they're in different areas. And when you combine them all, it ends up being the pot that's going to make the best decision for the, the whole. Yeah. What you shared about crowdsourcing decisions, I think is an insightful comment for all leaders to hear. What I think is really important for a leader is to just to think about when a decision comes up, how strongly do they feel that it has to be one way because occasionally you're going to feel so strongly that like okay there's only one answer to this particular question i'm making the decision and we're going to move but most of the time that's not the case and most of the time involving your organization in the process of offering feedback does help create a stronger organization it helps make better decisions but it also helps people feel more empowered that they're a part of something versus just being a cog in the wheel so i think that's a a good point And on the opposing and the sort of contrary as well, I had somebody call me within the company recently saying, I just want to apologize. I feel like we made this corporate decision based on my recommendation, and it's obviously not turning out to be a good investment. And I thought, oh my goodness, I never thought that. And I am so sorry that you're feeling that way. 
It may not have been the best decision, but look, we've learned so much. And when you're growing fast and when you're, you know, what are all these quotes too, right? If you're not failing, you're not growing. So, I mean, if anything, thank you for the experience to where only within a year and a half of having the company, we've already learned that we need to go back to what we care most about, which is our people. And outsourcing this function is not a good idea. We want to be responsive to our people and we want to maintain that closeness and outsourcing it is is not giving them that same feeling. Yeah. It's certainly a byproduct of empowering uh, individuals in your organization is that there will be mistakes made and how you respond when a mistake is made is what dictates how empowered that person will continue to feel in the future. And, you know, if we want to build the kind of culture in in our organizations where people are empowered to make decisions, I think it's important to respond well when a mistake is made. So that's that's a a great example you shared as well right there. Olivia, as we wind this down, uh, I'd just love to hear what you're most excited about for the future. Besides my son. (laughs) You, You can tell us about your son. I love him so much. Yeah. I mean, I, I am most excited for my family first and foremost. But secondly, I, I really do hope that Ami Vero can be an example for other companies on how you can succeed and still really give back. And again, I think it's that balance between profitability, all of that, that important business stuff, but also really just giving back to the people that are enabling you to be as successful as you are as a company. And so I'm super excited to continue to do that, grow that, but then also always communicate it and be transparent back to the entire company so that they all one day can go start their own stuff, just like little district managers that I had or branch managers, you know, they can kind of learn, see what's possible, know the parts that they had in it, and then go do their own. That's that's awesome. They choose to do. That's awesome. Sounds great. Well, it's really cool to hear how some of your leadership skills and some of your leadership philosophies were shaped during your early days with Vector and Cutco. And it's great to see the success that you're achieving now leveraging those skills and those philosophies and uh, certainly hope that you continue to build your company into something great and that you have a powerful impact uh, both in your community and beyond your community. So thank you so much for making time for the podcast today, Olivia. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thanks to Rich Plaskin and to Vector Cutco for doing so much for me early on. Awesome. That was Olivia Trivisani Bowker, everyone. Interesting to hear how she lived all over the world as a State Department kid, but not in like opulent settings in major world capitals, but instead in some of the most challenging situations and difficult situations where her parents were there to really make a difference and impact that country in some sort of positive fashion. It's a pretty cool experience to have had as a kid. Loved, of course, her lessons from Cutco and Vector, particularly about communication skills and influence. She gave an example that uh, Zig Ziglar teaches about voice inflection, you know, the I did not beat my husband example, which I think Ziglar has evolved to. I did not steal the money, where you say, I did not steal the money, right? The money was stolen by someone else. I did not steal the money, which is like indignation, right? No denial. I did not steal the money. Right? I might have borrowed it for a little while, but you know, I did not steal the money, right? Stole something else, but not the money, right? Like that there's different 
elements of voice inflection that can completely alter the meaning of a sentence. And as we learn to use influence, voice inflection is a key element of influence in terms of the confidence that it conveys, the certainty that it conveys. There's so many elements of that that I believe are really critical. Clarifying objections, right, in influencing people, particularly in selling. And Olivia said it's easy to do that when you're passionate about what you're selling, when you're passionate about the opportunity you have to offer, whether it is selling Cutco, selling something else, being a district manager, selling the vector opportunity. When you're passionate about what you're selling, then influence is a whole lot easier. I love where Olivia was describing her path after Vector and how she got to the point where she realized she really wanted to just have her own business and to be able to have something where she could build her own culture and never take for granted how valuable that is in your life. If you are running your own business right now, if you are a Vector Cutco district manager, it is hard. It is a hard role to have, but there are so many great rewards when you are in charge of building something in your own image, creating the culture that you want all around you. And Olivia is really creating that culture in her organization around the idea of women empowerment and positive values for the women in her organization, but also all of the other philosophies that she described that are a part of her company and who they are. I really liked where Olivia described the importance of a woman leader really learning to authentically leverage the strengths that they naturally have versus trying to emulate the strengths of someone else, particularly of a male leader that they may have in their organization or that they may look up to or admire. And I do think that's a key element for a woman leader to be able to thrive in the role that they're in is that they bring out the best of who they are. And I believe all male leaders should be supporting that as they're working with women leaders in their organization, helping them bring out the best of who they are. And of course, at the end, uh, Olivia talking about her company being an example of succeeding and giving back. I think that resonates for everyone in the Cutco community and hopefully resonates for people outside of Cutco as well, that, that we can all be able to pay forward the very positive good fortune that we all have in our lives through our workplace as well as in our personal lives. And so hope that is good inspiration for all of you as we wind down today. Thanks so much for supporting the podcast. Have a fantastic rest of your day. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. And if you want access to today's show notes, including links to any resources mentioned, visit changinglivespodcast.com. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. I'll catch you back here in a few days for our next story about changing lives.